Welcome to Creative Dialogues. Creative Dialogues is focused on the arts, exploring collaboration and upskilling and community building within and across art forms. My name is Tom Hogan, and this episode is Inclusive Arts, Access and Advocacy. I must say, I was, I mean, I really am still (laughs) quite nervous about this episode. It's not terrifying or anything. It's just that I'm confronted directly with an issue I've never really tried to solve before. And it sort of showed the cracks of how I need to spend more time and resources getting through it. This episode is on making the arts accessible. So, we tried to make this episode and all future episodes more accessible as well. So, while I make theatre, most of my work is about and through the medium of sound, whether that be music or podcasts or design or performance lectures and so on. And when it comes to theatre and performance, there's a lot of history and systems in place to make your work more accessible, be that Auslan interpreters, captioned titles, soft performances and more. But podcasts are pretty new and because they're strictly oral, they're inherently harder to access. Providing a detailed transcript seems to be the only real way to open it up to deaf audiences. With the help of Wollongong Council's cultural development team, we've tried to make this accessible, not only for our audiences, but also for our guests. So, we brought on board Kylie Clear from Sweeney Interpreting to provide an Auslan interpreter. And as this episode will show, there will be a bit of confusion over exactly what we expected Kylie to interpret, while also making sure all our guests keep their microphones from covering their mouths so our lips can be read as well. So, to see the video of this episode, that is also subtitled, visit the show notes or the Creative Dialogues webpage. So, first up, let me introduce you to Sophia Gollan, award-winning director and writer of documentary and drama films, and she also works at Create New South Wales as the sector investment manager, and is also the programmer behind the screenability strand at the Sydney Film Festival. I also want to read directly from her bio here. She's also one of the longest-serving guest actors on Play School, reaching her 29th year on the show, which makes it very likely she's been in your living room while you were in your pyjamas. Great. With, with all the other uh, interviews that I've done in this, we've sort of talked about what shutdown means. And I've been thinking about, like, this whole idea of shutdown is... It's about people sort of being housebound or feeling isolation. And as far as like people with disability go, that's that's not a it's not an entirely new thing. And I was wondering if um, has the trans how, how has the transition been in in the sort of short term for any of you? Like uh, Sophia, as far as um, working or discussions go, have, is everything like how has the transition been from pre COVID to now? Um, I mean, I think. Uh, over at Create New South Wales, we've seen a really, um, we've been privy to a really sharp uh, shock to industry, so to speak. Mm. So it's not only the film industry, but um, the visual arts and uh, theatre, they've all just had this really immediate shutdown uh, of actual venues and where they can actually ex- exhibit their work and we've had um, shutdown of productions and the like. I mean, in the last few weeks, I mean, they're all coming back to life. They're all coming back and um, uh, into production and reopening galleries and venues. So we're seeing people um, with COVID plans, with um, safe uh, practice in place, now being able to come back in a limited way. But I think, um, I mean, I think what's been quite amazing is seeing people, and I'm going to use this word, pivot, um, because it's such a, it's been such a um, big word over the last few weeks of artists just pivoting their practice and getting it online. And I think it's been really great to see people who've been maybe thinking about going online or getting their work um, in a digital space. They've actually just, you know, rolled up their sleeves, got on with it, and they've used this um, kind of pandemic condition to take advantage of that in-built audience. Captive audience, if you like. Yeah, captive audiences who are like all over the place actually can sort of uh, access some of these art, especially with like everyone is, as you're right, pivoting towards new technologies, mostly out of necessity. But as a result of that, there's some really good things that have come out of that. I mean, the one thing I have noticed is that um, I've been doing video telephone 
teleconference calls because um, you know, being deaf and relying on lip reading, I've been trying to get people to come to that, trying to get to do um, FaceTime, and now everybody's all over it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> all it took was a global pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> it did indeed. Yeah. Um, have do all your Zooms have Auslan interpreters? Is that the is that like has that been kind of the norm as well? Um, we've had uh, video conferencing uh, interpret interpreted for a couple of years now, so you know that's been something that's been uh, it was already well underway. So it was really easy for interpreters to just kind of fall into this space and mm. be. Um, and I think a lot of interpreters um, just speaking to them. Uh, They've been really happy to be able to interpret from home. They've been able to do more work. Um, they've been able to, it's been better working conditions for many. So, you know, there's been a lot of benefit in um, having interpreted Zoom in that manner. But I'm not an interpreter. That's only um, an anecdotal story that I've heard from people I've worked with. Next up, here is Matthew Hall, who is the CEO of Arts Access Australia and the new Programming Director of Meeting Place, the National Forum for Arts, Culture and Disability in Australia, which took place earlier this month. Well, could you tell me about Meeting Place generally? Just as I'd, I've never had to engage in it and, it's just, and now it's online, it actually makes it more accessible for me as well. Uh, well, that's certainly the case. Um, and in a sense, it's also a little bit easier to program because you don't have to bring people <laughs> from all over the world to, to one place. So yeah. Meeting Place is a, is a forum that we established in 2012 um, as a, a place for anyone interested in, in the area of um, art and disability to share and network and to um, learn um, and so, and it's it's occurred every year since, um, and it has always been in a physical location over several days. And part of the program has been to educate and inform people about arts practice and artists with disabilities in that actual location. That's mm. as a, a focal point of part of the program. Just coming back to what you were saying before, it's certainly the case that, you know, being isolated or being housebound aren't concepts that are new to many disabled artists. And um, we would hope that certainly by um, essentially being forced this year to take our meeting place forum into an entirely digital platform, that we will be able to demonstrate how people can incorporate digital access and um inclusiveness in into programs so that um, it becomes something that is much more generally accepted and and the norm as we move forward overall our theme of the the forum this year is creating space and and whether that's creating space within community or online or uh, within a political space it's all there's a, a whole range of different conversations and dialogues that we'll be having or hoping to create um, in relation to all sorts of um, activities around artists with disability creating space whether for themselves or their artworks um, or for uh, audiences. Yeah, of course. Uh, just as a side note, first of all, um, I could just the birds in the background of your recordings are quite delightful. Uh, and also, I've just read that you're uh, engaging a lot in, uh, like, landscape photography. Uh, which yeah, well, that's, that's my... Yes, seems um, like you've really uh, found a way to make this work for you. <laughs> um, it, well, it's, um, it's a hobby, semi-professional um, type activity, that. But, yeah, so living in the country and surrounded by um, fields and... Lots of it's every on every Zoom call. Someone comments about the, the bird calls. <laughs> well, I'm glad I could fulfil that cliche at least, <laughs> just for a sense of continuity. Sa sadly, I can't tell you what any of those birds are, but oh, that's your next. Uh, that's your yes. next goal, I think. Of course. Um, so, I mean, also, if you're just living in, uh, yeah, Burrawong, which I guess is that near Robertson? Is that it? Is indeed yes. So yeah. at the top of the quarry pass. Um, so even that probably just changes uh, your accessibility to program um, this work and also to, to engage in it. Like ultimately that sort of changes travel for you. Exactly in a sense, it's probably easier to organise um, 
as an online forum um, on a distributed um, organisational model than it is to try and organise a conference in a physical place of Canberra or Melbourne or Brisbane. Which I'm sure will create its own set of new problems that you yes, can then engage. Yes, it does. It does. <laughs> Particularly in terms of accessibility with, with uh, ensuring audio captioning or... Um, you know, Auslan interpretation or any number of things that are, uh, 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 or audio description on, you know, any number of things that are really necessary to ensure that you've got a universally, universally accessible program. Of course. Yeah. Universal access is the goal there, isn't it? Indeed. We also have Ethan and Christian here who are on this podcast as representatives of the Strange Ways Ensemble from Merigong Theatre. The Strange Ways Ensemble is Merigong's permanent company of professional actors perceived to have intellectual disability and Wollongong's only professional theatre ensemble. This year, they premiered and then toured their show Trash Talk before COVID shutdown. Oh, Ethan, I just watched your uh, the digital teaser that you put up. That was wonderful. That was great. It was like kind of funny and sad at the same time. It was really lovely. Thank you. Nice work. That was great. Ethan and Christian, uh, maybe I can ask view what as far as the strange rays ensemble go like you were always pretty dependent on the physical space of coming together regularly and sort of hanging out and making work and devising work um and it's it sounds like you've had to suddenly transition to regular online meetings and online creating work um what's that been like how's the the change of thinking work for you uh well personally uh because i'm on the internet a lot i didn't have too much <laughs> trouble uh you know using the app, even though it was my first time ever using it. Uh, but one thing, one advantage of it was the access we had to the internet. Like mm. I could just switch over to my uh, internet exploring, whether um, I was going to say app, but, you know, Google Chrome, Edge, whatever, and just look up, look up whatever I needed to. Um, so, yeah, having the internet with an easy access was a definite bonus. Yeah, and obviously you miss the personals. Like, the, like we all kind of really miss being in that collaborative kind of space. But if oh, you yeah. found that, yeah, um, I mean, it's good to see you two together on the same screen. That alone makes me feel <laughs> like... <I'm laughs> we are still making work. Um, I mean, uh, it's, we've switched from online to being in the same space now um but we uh uh yeah we're back in um our normal physical space and we've started uh workshopping some stuff um, a, i'm a so. bit jealous that's great because uh, you you two only finished uh like trash talk your show was on the start of this year so yeah. have you are you devising a new work already um we're really trying to figure out what exactly we're trying to do. Mm. Um, it's more finding the concept, really, rather than working on anything solid. So, Yeah, I, I just even thinking about Strange Rays and Trash Talk, really, uh, everything I could see about Trash Talk was about justice in the workplace. Um, or I guess what I mean is, like, you're making work about uh, people with disability and sort of issues around it. What does that allow you to sort of do? Um, well, I think what we look at is look at more of what we can do, not just because of who we are, but because of what we can do. Hmm. And I mean, a lot of us were, I mean, there's about five members out of strange ways who work in an Australian disability enterprise in outside of the group and we wanted to show how much we enjoy our job. Ethan and Christian, like why is Strange Ways Ensemble important for you? Well, would you like to go first? Uh, no, it's okay. You can... <laughs> so polite. You can fight it out if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, um, well, first of all, um, I should say that with strange ways, you don't just see us as people coming together just to make theatre. We kind of see, I kind of see us as a bit of a family. Mm. Um, those who understand what you go through, 
because they've been through that. Like uh, how your days are because they probably had the same days themselves. And, and plus we, uh, it's a big opportunity, which very proud to have. I guess I'm I tell not... you, I just thought it was the most exciting show, fabulous, with all of the screens you had on stage and, you know, the actual story itself was so, it was so evocative of the um, struggles that people, you know, with disability face in general employment. I mm. thought it was fabulous. I thought that... you guys were fabulous, actually. So I'm really looking forward to the next show, when you can get that up, when you can get an audience back in the room. Was that, was that trash talk you were saying, Sophia? Yeah, we yeah. came down to Wollongong to see it. Sweet. And then, so Ethan and Christian trash talk then toured to Parramatta, didn't it? Oh, yeah. that's what I saw it. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I think How... it was fabulous. I brought my partner as well, and um, we just had a ball that night. And, it, you know, it's fresh and it's different, and, you know, it's a different voice. And sometimes, um, you know, it's great to go and see you know, Sydney Theatre Company and see all the bells and whistles. And, you know, that has a place that's very entrenched and hard <laughs> to go to. But, um, you know, the voice that Merigong has is, um, it, I think it's on par. It's different, but it's on par with um, rep- representing our culture back to us. Well, then maybe, um, Sophia, uh, in some of your early films, I- I've seen interviews where you have said... Um, there was like a, a haunted swimming pool, for instance, and someone else saw the metaphor of like that that was that that evoked a lot of uh, living with a disability. But then, obviously, works like Gimpsy explored in a much more direct, less metaphorical way. Um, is that reflected in the art scene as a whole for you? Well, I think I mean I started making films more than fifteen years ago. I made films when films were made on film. <laughs> the um, classics. That's a long time ago. I'm not a dinosaur, by the way. I have no, I have kept up with um, digital advances. But um, I think uh, when I started out, in order to be an artist, and if you had a um, disability, it was um, your measure, the measure of success was how well could you hide your disability mm. and how well could you perform in spite of your disability. So um, the people... I found myself often rewarded when my voice sounded great on stage or um, I was creating work that didn't necessarily have disability in uh, content. So, I mean, I, I was really adamant that I wanted to have a career in screen production, that I wanted to be making um, films. And I um, and for me, it was very much about uh, being the same as my peers, who were um, other filmmakers who were able-bodied, who were creating stories about contemporary culture. So I was mm. doing the same. But um, what I've noticed over the last uh, five years, there's been a real uh, paradigm shift in terms of how uh, creatives with disability now see themselves and how they position themselves in the bigger culture. And I, over the last 10, 15 years, I firmly believe now that creatives with disability have such a unique perspective on the world and even if you don't make something that has disability content, you are still going to express how you see the world through what of you Of course, make. yeah. So, I mean, it's just, and I think people, audiences love it because for them it's an insight into another way of living that's not same, same. But it, um, and... You know, often people with disability create extraordinary work um, and people who, you know, some of the stars of our past like um, Prince and mm. uh, um, many people like him, they had um, invisible disability but that contributed to the brilliance of their um, output. So, you know, you kind of... Um, I think we have so much to offer that hasn't been even... Uh, plumbed in terms of what we can offer to contemporary culture. And I think uh, programmers, curated and, you know, funding people are now starting to recognise that there is, um, there's not a lesser voice, but a different and quite mm. unique perspective. And so that's been the paradigm shift for me now, that um, there's another way of looking at the world that is just as valuable as what the mainstream may offer. 
Yeah, it seems like um, on a very kind of broad term, like the way I used to understand art and reading and all that kind of stuff was essentially that I was actually learning to empathize with someone who wasn't me, essentially. It was the, sim- was the simplest way to sort of think about it. And you actually learn through living someone else's experience. And then as time went on, it was just like, I actually didn't just want to know what it's like to be them, but I also wanted to um, just not have art from the same people, really. Like, that is really what it is. I don't want that. Um, I, I think you're, you're right in that now there's this shift towards, we actually want to see art about, these new identities that have had to have been hidden recently, uh, up until recently, I suppose. Um, that even, as you said, with funding, like there's actually a, f- a funding push towards making work like by, uh, with people with disability, I suppose. Um, and not to mention people of color and everything else. It's like we are, tr- we actually actively, actively are trying to veer away from the same, same. Um, so... Yeah. In, um, generally, with the agency, they're seeking to ensure that there's diverse representation. So it, um, gen- it, it is very much uh, in the front of people's mind, especially here in Australia, that diverse representation is actually, um, it actually underway, it's actually supported. So it becomes part of the criteria in terms of assessing projects when they come in for funding. Um, which, is, which is your job, partly, isn't it? Yeah, I work for um, uh, Screen New South Wales to create New South Wales. So I work in the screen team with um, three other colleagues and we um, assess our projects that come in for development and for production finance across a range of um, platforms from web series, virtual reality, feature film, uh, drama and documentary and television series. So um, we... We seek to make sure we have a diverse representation of creative and stories um, in all of the projects that mm. we fund. Mm. And disability is definitely one of, um, you know, part of that diversity remit. Sure. And you're also uh, running screenability program for Sydney Film Festival. Essentially, you, you budget for cr- creatives to premiere films at the Sydney Film Festival. No, what that is, it's an initiative targeted at filmmakers with disability who have demonstrated a desire and some experience in creating a career in screen production. So basically, it's a scheme where we give three teams $30,000 each to make a short film. And the only criteria is that one of the three creative, the producer, the director or the writer, mm. uh, have to identify as being, uh, having dis- disability. So, um, but they also need to demonstrate an actual um, desire and network to be part of the industry. So it's not really about funding anybody who just wants to have a go. It's actually funding, seeking out and supporting and escalating the career of people who um, want to make film, want to be, you know, creating content. The content itself doesn't necessarily have to have um, disability content, but to date they all have had. We've funded mm. it for three years now and we've got nine films and they've all premiered at the um, Sydney Film Festival. So we'll be announcing the next round early September, if not before, for <clears throat> 2021. Sure. Um, just one th- one thing, um, Kylie, I noticed... So, you're, so Kylie, you're... Uh, Translating my words for Sophia, but not translating Sophia's. I guess I'm I'm wondering what. There's an interesting dynamic of what uh, like Auslan interpreting is for Zoom and who that's sort of for, especially for like this. I was wondering maybe if I asked Sophia a question, you could also translate Sophia's response as well. If you're um, up for that. I think uh, it depends on if you're planning to um, air the Zoom uh, publicly. Then yes. Um, she should interpret for me as well. Yeah, so I, th- I feel like if if we're talking about accessibility to the arts, maybe there is, and we should like include like this video as far as so that people, because I realise how limiting it is just having a podcast as well. Like a podcast as well is a purely oral <laughs> medium. It's like maybe we should be like incorporating that. So maybe, Kylie, would you mind also translating Sophia's words for everyone else as well? Sure, I've got no issue doing that. Uh, the only issue is I'm on my own. So normally we would have two of us for this, um, but I'm happy to do it. That, 
that's yeah okay that's fantastic if you wouldn't mind doing that just for so then we can actually sort of show this and make this fully accessible you might also uh, have to have some audio description of each of us before the event then to yes of course picture each of the participants see i think this is um it's, it's not so much as having the conversation it's also the fact that um me getting this wrong happily and like coming to terms with it is probably part of the discussion ultimately like um it's this idea of tr solving one problem just sort of creates more uh, <laughs> which uh, i guess is what we were saying sort of before matthew like we're sort of learning to uh exist in a new space which then uh it creates more problems that sort of consult so maybe if if it sounds like if we're all working like if we're all in different sort of art forms between film and um like theater and performance and poetry and all that kind of stuff um obviously it's not so much a simple change that we're looking for we're looking for like obviously a greater systematic change so maybe i could ask is there are there any steps that first of all artists can make to make their work more accessible like in a very sort of short-term way that can there could be long term and then i guess the real problem is also dealing with arts companies on upholding that change um i mean just to to take the the second part of your question first about arts companies mm. um i think what is really i mean yes there have been some really significant and important changes but but we are still faced with an environment where um artists with disability find it more difficult to find work uh they're going to stay unemployed or be unemployed longer than their mm. peers uh without disability but about like sort of a third to, as opposed to a quarter um if they find when they find work they're going to be paid 42 percent less than their peers um and they're going to they're going into a marketplace where um 60 percent of of arts and cultural organizations that we surveyed did not uh, did not employ or did not know if they employed a, a person with disability and only uh, less than 40 percent of those organizations had a disability action plan so there's some real wow. lots and lots of work to be done in terms of people understanding the barriers and the um the the real life effects of a inequitable employment market and and skewed funding arrangements and organizations not seriously directing their attention to increasing their um, accessibility uh, and, and inclusiveness of, of persons with disability, whether they're artists that they're working with or audiences that they're trying to connect with. Yeah, I think it's that, it's that thing of you can provide a program and a funding situation for that to solve something in the short term. But you're right, it's like ongoing employment and ongoing funding. And also, as this, what Sophie was, Sophie was saying before about like uh, the, the inherent idea that you have to, you're competing with peers that have different lives. Yeah. And, and I well. think that, well, and um, the other thing I think to note, yes, yes, you know, there's certainly funding that's available but when you look at the statistics, um, there's something like 18% um, of the population, uh, or about four and a half, or just under four and a half million people, um, are Australians with disability. But um, only 4% of artists who were involved in projects that received funding from um, at, at the Commonwealth level through the then Department of Communication of the Arts, only 4% of those people identified as having a disability. So there's a bit of a disconnect between why are, why is not the level of applications mm. at mm. least reflective of the percentage of the population, and then only 7% of applications for the Australia Council's core programs uh, uh, were given to... Um, only 70% of those that received funding had uh, were given to people who were identifying as, as having a disability. And so there's, I think there's a real need for some structural change as well as um, organisations and participants, but some real structural change around how we look at and assess um, grant funding for the arts because... Um, is is an artist when you're looking at a, at funding programs and there's a panel assessment 
but there is no one on that panel who is an artist with disability or any lived experience of disability. How is that panel able to make any um, yeah. objective assessment of the value of that application in a competitive environment against other applications where they have a, a greater experience or, or um, affinity with. Um, and so I think, you know, that we, we need to uh, show some leadership ourselves and, and, and seek to, to provide leadership to ensure that there are more um, people with disability on, on peer assessment panels. And, Which I guess uh, is where someone like Sophia is really like Sophia. You're like leading the charge on this. Great work to have somehow infiltrated this. Like that's a huge step to even uh, I don't know to, to have broken through that barrier in the first place. And it, like on top, I mean, I guess really what I've got here is just like like um, like this room is all the people that are fighting for change. It's quite um, uplifting in that sort of sense. And that's just not only for access for funding, but also like for artists who even. To, to enter into the industry to then get funding like that's there's so many steps that have to be breached before there's even any sense of equality surely i think um i think matthew's right in that um in terms of uh you know in a colloquial way the gatekeepers of um funding mm. um when they are represented with um peers who have a disability or um funding uh, executives who have disability, then there's a much more um, welcoming sense that um, artists with disability will be seen on a merit basis as well as um, uh, as well as taking into account whole of career, so to speak. Mm, yes. Because, um, whole of career is that artists with disability will not have the same opportunity as um, able-bodied artists. So you kind of have to consider where have they come from, where are they at, and you you do tailor the assessment accordingly. And to do that, you do need an understanding of the disability art landscape. You do need an understanding and an overview of the artists who are currently practising, as well as, um, you know, their peers in a bigger mainstream sense. Mm. Um, create New South Wales, we, we do take that very seriously. When we get um, artists with disability who may come into a general stream, then they will be assessed by a peer with disability. Our peer, um, our board have um, artists with disability represented on them. And of course, I'm a filmmaker with disability, so I contribute to the Screen New South Wales space. And in, um, in Australia Council for the Art, we also have that peer assessment process where artists with disability are employed to make that assessment. I mean, I can only speak for the small sphere that I'm in on this side of the country. Yeah. So I can't speak for agencies in other states. But I think there is growing awareness of lack of representation in those decision-making spaces. And I think many people are, especially in government, are looking to how they can make changes that are, you know, going to create... Tangible and have a long-term effect. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Matthew, does does Arts Access Australia, does that work with in, in that kind of sense of working with artists and creatives in that sense? Or, or are you more looking at the uh, the companies and their involvement? Um, we, we, we see ourselves as providing a, a, a role or a role of leadership and advocacy sort of at a national level um, in terms of um, advocating for change and and arguing for mm. uh, what should happen or, uh, and for, for seeking to improve the, I suppose, the ecosystem or the environment which within which everyone operates. Um, we have, um, as part of the members of our organisation, is each of the... Um, state or territory peak bodies in disability in the arts in every state and um, territory, except for Tasmania, who, who doesn't have one, but uh, uh, they're supported, I think, through Victoria. So it's those state-based organisations that are um, more directly involved with um, either individual artists or, or companies in terms of either providing advice or assistance or... Um, opportunities to identify um, ways to connect or um, to educate or inform uh, at that sort of more grass 
roots level, whereas um, we focus more on sort of policy and um, mm. um, lobbying and advocating. But um, one of the one of the things I did want to raise in terms of creating or improving things or creating change, I think also it's it's one of the the real important things is in terms of ensuring that there's a real recognition that um, it's important. I mean, so, I mean, in the current environment, I think we've seen that um, the response of the Commonwealth government would make some people think that the arts and cultural uh, industries are not important, or at least the, the government doesn't think so. Um, and that then permeates throughout the rest of the community. And so that when you're trying to um, highlight something, if there's a general sense of, well, that's not seen as something that's necessarily important or important, it becomes much more difficult. For artists with disability, it's compounded even more because not only mm. is the art sector seen as not important, but um, many artists with disability feel that they've been left behind or um, neglected by the government's response because of the way in which, um, you know, COVID has affected their um, income and yet um, they don't are not eligible to receive any other form of income support um, and and haven't therefore benefited from the temporary uplift in that government support in terms of jobs so you know they don't qualify for job seeker we, we undertook a survey in, of our membership in may um, and almost 60 percent of those surveyed had lost um, income of about three and a half thousand dollars a month, um, and forty percent of forty-seven percent of those were not eligible for JobKeeper, mm. and and um, one of the um, respondents actually said um, that the way in which the the government had tailored its response in relation such that many artists were not able to get JobSeeker and the uplift was just a signal to the rest of Australia that we don't matter. That was the quote. And I think that is a real concern if, as we try to um, move for change, there's a general sense that, well, it's not really important because, of the, you know, you're not seen, it's not seen as something that's valuable to do, which I think is incredibly harmful and incredibly um, yeah, not short-sighted or yeah. blatantly wrong, but yeah. which you're right is then compounded by the level of like like artists with disability working. Yes, yeah. yes, that's right. I mean, yes. So not only have they not only do they receive um, less than their peers now because of COVID and, and and the way in which there's been a response to COVID for support that they're receiving even less because they've they've lost significant income of a very small income to start with. Mm. Yeah, of course. Well, then, so what do you reckon, what do you all think that, that the steps then, oh, by the way, Kylie, are you up, do we need to give you a break? Because you're working so hard, by the way, <laughs> you're going very well. Yeah, so I've just sent a message to the agency um, to see if we can get someone else on, just to swap. Sure, do we need Do we need to have a break? Is that the plan? That's fine. Um, right. I'm going to take a break and sort it out um, because... Yeah, I took this on thinking I wasn't going to have to interpret for Sophia um, because usually I don't. <laughs> um, but that's fine. I'm happy to take a five-minute break if that suits everybody. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and then I can – it looks like I've got somebody who can join me, which means we can just keep going on after that. Okay, I'll have a quick break now and I'll jump back on. Thanks so much, Kylie. Okay, so then in my nervous recalibration here, I really should have taken an actual break for everyone until Kylie came back. Because then the next short portion of this discussion isn't being translated for Sophia or our viewers. So, I really needed to slow down and process what was actually happening here. But as we were doing this on the fly, really, we didn't have a clear disability action plan in place. Which is really where this conversation, and indeed the point of the entire podcast, comes into focus here. And I think you can hear, I'm, I really get on edge here. Even though all it really took was just slowing down and having a bit more forethought before charging ahead. So yeah, I'm I'm sorry to disrupt the flow, but I was just like just making sure we're all we know what's happening sort of here. Um, yeah, you're so uh, just to sort of uh, sort of backtrack what was happening there. Like, the, I'm, I'm I guess I'm wondering what do we need to do as far as like like is the is the is the first step in the short term then 
like is it for are we are we looking to change like how artists work how audiences perceive work or how companies work i guess is the is the kind of the question that's that's sort of hovering back here like it's in the, there's obviously the issues throughout the whole thing um and i guess we all need to work in different ways so maybe i could start off with um like as far as like Ethan and Christian, like working with audiences, like it sounds like your work, even as Sophia was saying, your work is just as important and just as good and just as exciting. Um, so uh, do, when it comes to working with, like what are some audience responses you've had with your work? Do you do you speak to your audiences as much? Um, there have been some people that would come to us like after a show, um, maybe days later. Um, I do have friends who come and see the show and just say, oh, how they loved it. Um, I sort of, I haven't really had much people who come and say, uh, how do you do this? What's it like? But, um, I think, I think, um, don't know if this is relevant. Um, I've. One of the guys from Strange Ways, uh, Phil, he came to me after one show and he said that someone who came to the show said they never heard of an ADE. So the fact that they, we've got, we now, mm-hmm. what it's like, it's, it's interesting because people are learning as they're as they're like your your role is actually just to to, to educate audiences really yeah. which is like a huge responsibility as an actor and a creator as yeah. well don't you think yeah. yeah i do see it as entertaining but as as trying to entertain an audience but they do you do get to learn a few things as you are as you as the show goes on yeah of course um, so if that's if that's what it takes to get, um, it, it sounds like you're doing all the right things to get our audience's attention. It sounds like it sounds like the work that you create uh, obviously has the impact and is doing what you're setting out to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, which is first of all, you are obviously you are immediately much more successful than I am as far as like an artist goes because I like it's like, like so so good work on feeling that kind of satisfaction on there. Um, well, then so after that, the audience then uh, the next layer of that is getting accessibility for artists. Then so maybe that's Sophia. That seems to be much more um, in your, your court. Like, what are some steps we need to take to get artists more empowered and accessible to being involved, whether that's funding or getting into the industry. Sorry, can you just repeat that question again? Uh, um, maybe, is it because, should I be waiting for um, Kylie to come back? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, sure. Um, so then, uh, so maybe I can pivot to Matthew then. Mm. Um, so is, if you're the one who seems to be dealing with the kind of the greater, like the, the, the much bigger picture the stuff. Macro, yeah. Yeah, what's the kind of, um, is, is there a next tangible step for you? Um, there's probably a few. I mean, there's a, a, everything seems to be so interconnected, and and um, in terms of certainly artists, um, I think there's uh, real scope to improve the level of or, or the the number of organisations that have uh, effective and meaningful disability action plans in terms of their engagement with artists with disability, and um, I mean I. I, I don't think there's any um, lack of understanding in in the sector amongst um, quote unquote mainstream organisations as to the benefit that they mm. would generate and the the um, you know amazing output that could be produced by involving um, artists with disability in the in their program, but um, I don't think they necessarily are aware of everything that has to be put in place to make it a success for that to happen. And, and I think that if there's some greater focus on, on organisations and their disability action plans, I think that would be a, a, a huge, tremendous first step. 
So you're saying, because obviously you're saying like, like, so companies understand the inherent value and they're like, yeah, we yes, know. But we also, be... but yeah, that, yeah, but then, I mean, as, as, and I don't miss, mean to be critical, but as in the process of, of this afternoon, um, you, you were very, you know, certain to ensure that you had an Auslan interpreter for Sophia. Mm. Um, but then when you thought, oh, okay, but, but then we could make the whole thing, the, the video available, which uh, and if it was fully Auslan interpreted, that would be great for um, deaf people. But then that raises an issue of, but it, that's not great for people who have a vision um, exactly, disability. Exactly. Yeah. So so it compounds, and so that those that very simple thing, um, people need to think more carefully and closely about it as to what does that mean that we have to do, or um, not so much on the art on. A, the artist involvement side of things, but in terms of engaging with audiences with disabilities, um, I mean, there's 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 lots of things I think that can happen with that. Uh, there's issues around what the NDIS funds in relation to sort of mm. arts and cultural programs, but even things like organisations. Um, if if someone who uh, with a disability who requires a carer wants to go and see something or participate in an activity, they've got to buy two tickets. They don't buy, they can't buy one ticket because they can't go by themselves. Yeah. But, and then they go, well, but how can they afford is it? And is it fair that they should have to buy two tickets for their own experience when That's the person who is accompanying them is not there to see the show or participate, but there because of the needs of the ticket holder. So there's, and, and but I also understand that, that person would then take a, a paying ticket of someone who would. So there's a lots of things to be thought about, but they are things that I don't think people do think about. Yeah, no. Of, and very simple things like a second ticket or the cost of a second ticket. Yeah. And even then, that's that's also kind of creative thinking as well. It's just like, mm. the, like that's um, even in, in the shows that I've been involved with, once we make sure we have like a soft performance and an Auslan interpreted performance and, mm. um, and like... Once you do it, it actually is, even the process of doing it is so much more rewarding um, mm. and has a, and especially once you can reach those audiences and things like that. Um, mm. And it, I, I suppose that's, again, compounded once you get to the sort of artistic company levels. Mm. Um, so back to um, Matthew's comment about the disability action plan. Um, it is probably the first step of anybody who will mm. consider working with creative or audiences with disability because what it actually does it, it's, an, it's an audit it's an audit of the actual company's capacity to provide service whether internal or external so one um and it's only by doing that then a company realizes what is it that we are offering how accessible is it and who are our audiences so that um i mean as, um, as you've just uh, discovered your, with the interpreter and with this and that, it, um, it's a very common mistake. Um, it usually mm. crops up on the very first time or second time you might engage an interpreter. Um, and it is about and accessible art, actually. The New South Wales um, Agency, they actually provide a workshop called Accessorise, which is um, working with companies how did how did they actually provide access on you know outward facing and mm. in facing to the company? So um, yeah, I mean that is the very first step, a disability action plan because they're not all the same. They're actually tailored toward the company or the organisation or the artist with um, disability. They also seem like very important. Or these seem like very important mistakes to make. Like I can imagine. Uh, the idea of being worried about this being incredibly stressful, but by doing it, it's actually uh, like the problems can be solved. Very, mm. Like really, just with like, I, I think I'm happier to try and make the mistake than I am to not try at all. Uh, mm, depends on uh, the quality. <clears throat> fall on your face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm very happy to look stupid sometimes. I think <laughs> it's just, if that makes any sense. Um, oh, look. I think um, as always, it is best to try because mm. um, uh, to be uh, shut out because um, you know it is always good to try. But 
Uh, and you don't have to try on your own also. I mean, yeah, of course. And also a, dis a, dis yeah, a disability a action plan would do yeah. that. Yeah, because I mean, the whole thing about um, disability action plans is that they're there, to, they're there to help you, to make your life easy as well, because I think it's just about having knowledge and knowledge um, just, you know, avoid problems before they even start. But it, again, you only have to, you have to experience working with audiences with disability, you have to experience working with creative, and then you start to fully understand it's um, not as hard as you think. Um, no. No, yeah. No. I think it's just uh, just knowing how much I work, like so much of my work is based on sound, I suppose, and uh, and not so much any sort of uh, other thing. So it's just, uh, yeah, I'm just suddenly becoming very aware of how easy it is for me to change and adapt, really. Like it doesn't take much apart from doing, A, more research and B, trying it out and asking questions, I suppose. What's the next, what's a tangible step artists can make next then? Whether that be in working in film or uh, like what should their short-term goals be to then be long-term? It always comes down to keep yourself informed and that can happen at, at a grassroots level and at a highly experienced level. That, they, um, that is the number one step that all artists should take. Mm. So you keep yourself informed to the fullest of your extent and that means um, that means uh, having access to social channels, to all kinds of you know public out, public facing um, media that art organisations may put out. It's about um, connecting with people. I think it uh, it's always about connecting with the immediate network you have around you. How you can actually leverage that into another connection or an actual um, conversation with an agency if you want to make an application for fun. Um, I think there's always a sense of personal responsibility in terms of um, you do need to initiate that connection what, to get whatever it is that you need. I And Matthew is right, is right. I mean, I work in a government sphere, so um, we're not, uh, we can influence and we can pull levers that work in the outside private world and, you know, in smaller and bigger organisations. But um, as a government agency, we have a very distinct, um, uh, you know, um, we have a distinct sense of we represent those underrepresented people and we do our best to ensure that they have a voice and access to support and fund. And that's not necessarily reflected in the private space or in um, bigger mainstream organisations. Um, but we do have those levers and we can pull them where we can. But, I mean, I think uh, it is... Um, I have a certain kind of pragmatism in that uh, myself as an artist, when I've met with the front door, uh, a door that's been shut in my face repeatedly, I kind of think, well, where can I go? Where else can I go? Is there another crack I can come in through? Can I turn myself into jelly and just squeeze myself under the door? I believe you can. I mean, most people do that. <laughs> I don't have that superpower. <laughs> But what I'm trying to get is that um, if you are serious about having a career, um, don't take no for an answer, but do find a job that actually pays the bills. And that is true for probably 90% of artists in Australia. Hmm. Um, and just keep... Um, I mean, some, some art forms you can do on your own. Other art forms, you need a team. And as such, I think you have to calibrate um, you know, the expectation. If I need a team of people to realise my work, who do I know that can help me? Who do I know? Who Can I work with someone who's more experienced than I am? I often say to people, um, you don't have to have a team full of disability creative. You can be the only disability uh, per, per disabled person within that team. Mm. And sometimes doing that will take you to the next step where you need to go. In other instances, working within a creative team of disabled people is where you need to be or where you will do your best work. Um, I think always be prepared to think outside the box and that is one of the biggest strengths people with disability have. 
they are forced to think outside of the box every single day. And they can apply that to the work as well. So, you know, I'm really optimistic about the level of artwork that people are producing these days. I'm, I'm just seeing the work getting better and better, more sophisticated. Um, people are accessing bigger support funds. So, you know, I think um, people are becoming increasingly sophisticated about how they approach funding agencies and how they gain support and how they infiltrate and um, corrupt mainstream companies, so to speak. Yeah. Mm. It's, even that's so... Uh, it's it's all. I mean, it's also about, like, making work, like, yeah, expanding your actual work palette as well, isn't it? Um, even... Um, so... Uh, Ethan and Christian, like, so Ethan, you, like, you were doing, like, the poetry and the poetry reading, that seemed to be a thing that you were doing on the side that you weren't anticipating to be involved in, Strange. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's yeah. correct. So, do you, do you both do, uh, do you both do, uh, do separate, like, um, artworks in your own, like, as, uh, I don't know, personal explorations as well? Uh yeah, personally, I've been more recent, recently thinking of getting more into screenwriting because I did a little bit of that when I went to uni. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I haven't gone around to it yet, but I plan to do short do that shortly. Um, also, while during the pandemic, I've been getting back into guitar practice, I guess, try and build up my skills, essentially. Yeah, of course. It feels like it's supposed to be a good time to sort of create new skills, but it seems just as stressful as, as always. Um, I kind of have the same uh, interest with screenwriting. In fact, I just do it. I'm never, I don't, I've never really learned, so I don't know how it's, um, I kind of just heard uh, advice of other people just, but you don't, don't really know how to exactly write write it down um yeah um i did kind of been doing that a fair bit i even been interested in writing plays mm. uh just ideas i want to workshop and put on stage um but see other people do um not just uh our group but see other groups as well yeah, of course. It sounds like Sophia and you have a lot, like both of you have a lot to talk about as far as <laughs> developing uh, your screenwriting and making making that work happen. Yeah, I should probably <laughs> also admit that I do do photography. I mean, I've haven't done it the last. I uh, uh, haven't done it, been able to do it because of COVID. But once the restrictions kind of limited, I brought my camera out and try to find the first thing to take and the only thing i've posted so far was a group of galahs well i hear the uh the birds out in burrowong are pretty good at being photographed as well yeah. <laughs> there's lots of galahs here present <laughs> company included i think um, just on accessibility uh you're going to post the vimeo link um, or the Zoom link, you will need to subtitle it. Yes, um, of course. Yeah, um, some of it's not captioned, and you will need to advertise that as well. So, yes. I think most deaf will, um, most deaf will uh, accept subtitles, but um, if you advertise it as fully Ausland interpreted, then you might get a bit of a mismatch of expectations. Yes, yeah. of course, of course. Um, thank you very much. That is good to take note of. You've opened a can of worms, Tom. By yeah, no, I love it, though. Helpful. No, I think, I think this is really good, though, right? Like it's <laughs> so that's where we left off. It really doesn't take that much work to make podcasts accessible. It just requires slightly more preparation, some clear communication, and thinking things through a bit. I'm really able... I'm really happy I was able to talk through this with everyone. And obviously, a massive thank you to all our guests, Ethan, Christian, Sophia, and Matthew, for being patient with me, because I'm sure they've had to deal with this unpreparedness throughout all their work and lives already. So, well, anyway, I'll keep trying. I'll put links to The Strange Ways Ensemble and to Sophia Gollan's work and to Meeting Place in the show notes. 
I'm pretty ashamed I couldn't get this together before Meeting Place happened, but nothing has been easy. So definitely sign up to Meeting Place's newsletter and I'll link to the Arts Access Australia YouTube page so you can view the videos as they come online. Oh, and a huge thanks to Kylie Clear uh, from Sweeney Interpreting for working her butt off for this episode. Check out the video of this conversation um, in the show notes as well. This was also the final episode of this season of Creative Dialogues. Don't worry, there will be more because I had fun and I learned a lot and we've been receiving some great feedback. So if you want to get in touch, visit the Creative Dialogues webpage on the Wollongong City Council website for more information. Also put it in the show notes. And a huge thanks to Annie Clapton and Janine Primer throughout this series who did all the heavy lifting for every episode. I'm Tom Hogan and well, that's it. Thank you so much. Thanks very much. Thank, Thank you. you, everyone. Have a great day. See you guys. See you, everyone. Yeah, see ya. Bye. Bye.